0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Jeremiah Gardner with me. Jeremiah is the author of the upcoming book, The Lean Brand. He works with entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, and Fortune 500s to help them discover, iterate, and develop their emotional value. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, George. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for being here, Jeremiah. When when did you get the idea to write uh, Entrepreneur's Guide to the Lean Brand?
1: Yeah, so really uh, I kind of talk about it in terms of I'm a recovering brand genius, um, meaning that I was in the branding industry, uh, had an agency, relatively successful, and after doing a bunch of kind of big projects for big names. Um, realized at the end of those projects you know uh, how little value we created and spent you know a few years of my life really uh, creating work and deliverables that didn't make any business impact or create uh, any value for the customer or ultimately for the client and so I kind of sensed things were were broken something was wrong um, didn't really know how to bring language around that and that kind of led me to you know, exploring where uh, brand needs early intervention. And I think uh, that's what led me to really think about entrepreneurs and, and startups. And then from there, it was just kind of a natural progression. I, I bumped into, you know, the lean startup and uh, the lean entrepreneur and started having conversations with those guys about um, the brand side of it and linked up with um, now my partner and, and who I got to work on the book with, uh, Brant Cooper. Who wrote the New York Times bestseller, uh, *The Lean Entrepreneur*? And he and I really had some great conversations about, um, you know, product is is a part of creating a successful business, but a successful business also has brand as part of the equation. And so, uh, one thing led to another thing, and I would say about ten months ago, uh, really conceived of the Lean Brand and went to work to try and apply lean thinking, lean principles to brand development. And uh, here we are, you know, 10 months later, uh, right around the corner from publishing it.
0: So you mentioned that you have owned your own uh, advertising agency or, or marketing firm?
1: Yeah, so it's we really started as a design firm, uh, like most agencies do. And it evolved into really a brand development, a traditional brand development uh, firm, and did some work with um, some large companies, Fortune five fifties actually. And um, that's kind of what led me to this thought that things were, weren't working the, the old way anymore.
0: So did you sell that business or what happened there?
1: So I downsized um, and actually helped some of my employees find other work. Um, I needed space to kind of think about these things. And... Um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of just shut down operations, um, what we had kind of been building, and ref- I had to refocus on on figuring out what was next for me, and that led into to the book. Um,
0: so, why and, did you shut down uh, your firm?
1: Like I said, <clears throat> excuse me. Like I said, I think um, it, it wasn't working. I could I had a choice between making a lot of money. Uh, doing something that ultimately I felt like w- was fruitless and maybe, you know, all we did was create a little bit of window dressing. And I, I was really faced with a choice. Do I want to spend my career, the rest of my career, um, you know, changing the dressing of windows? Or do I want to do something that that really creates some sort of lasting value and has an opinion about the reasons that these things are aren't working any longer. And so it was a very difficult choice um, looking back, but I think it was the right choice for me um, to kind of stop doing what we were doing, um, stop chasing, you know, growth as an agency, and start focusing on what's the right thing and what's the right answer to this question that we're asking
0: so earlier you you mentioned that there was little value that you have created um you know as a marketing agency for for these firms that you or these companies that you worked for um can you give us an example of that i mean um what do you mean by little value created
1: yeah so uh, for example i i did some work with a very large um nationwide uh man the word is escaping me for a second here uh, re- uh, gosh I can't mention the company but I can tell you yeah. what to do um, and they are they sell homes I can't I keep on wanting to say retail but I know that's not correct um, anyways they are uh, one of the largest firms in terms of selling homes and commercial businesses. And so uh, we came in to really do some work with them and do a full rebrand of their kind of franchise. And part of what we did was a lot of, you know, discovery or what you could call traditional market research. And we came up with a bunch of ideas and we presented these ideas and and started to build a bunch of things. And everyone in in the boardroom on their end was, you know, High fiving each other, this is great. Uh, we as an agency were high fiving each other, saying how you know how smart and how brilliant we were, and on and on and on. And we spent about a year doing this work, building this work, um, really giving their organization a facelift, and it all culminated into this one big launch day. And we launched uh, the new campaign, we launched the new look, um, we even updated some of their local offices and things like that. And it was a large project, um, lots of money invested, and it just fell flat. It didn't change the customer's opinion. It didn't create value for the customer. It just gave them maybe something a little different to look at, but it didn't get at the heart of what we were trying to do, which was really impact the relationship people had with that company. And so it's a great example of building a lot of waste and creating a lot of waste based on what you think is true in your head and what you can sell to a client versus learning what the customer really values and what will um, ultimately impact the relationship between the organization and the customer at at that one to one level, at that one to ten level, at that you know one to 500 level, and so on and so forth.
0: Okay. Um, you said uh, companies are building a lot of waste. Uh, what is wasteful about brands and or, or, or brand building?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, there's not really a blanket answer to that. There's a lot of waste. I think what ultimately happens when we think about startups um, building their brand development is immediately a, a startup, uh, you know, I've seen this scenario multiple times, a startup receives, you know, their seed round of funding or perhaps their Series A funding. And the knee-jerk reaction is to say, okay, I have to go out and, and buy my brand. And so they go out and spend 15000 30000 $60,000 on this branding agency to deliver them a logo and a color scheme and uh, you know, a pretty vision statement or brand promise and, uh, build it out in the deck and have a lot of presentations and things like that. And all of these things are not inherently wrong, but all of them aren't about the customer. They aren't about building that relationship with the customer. And so to me, the definition of waste when it comes to brand development Is anything that doesn't ultimately deliver value to the the end customer. And that's a very lean definition of waste as well. Uh, Along the product line, any feature or anything that you built into your hardware system or anything that you're doing on the product side that doesn't ultimately deliver value to the problem that you're trying to solve with the product is considered waste. That's very analogous to brand in terms of with brand, we build a bunch of features, logos and color schemes and uh, brand essence, whatever that is. And these kind of broad reaching uh, ethereal things. And all of them are just features of something that we're trying to get at. That's much deeper below the surface of these features. And so if a logo at the end of the day, doesn't deliver value to a customer, then it's waste. And I would argue and and contend that most of the time, at least the way that I think about these things, most of the time, very early on, spending even $5,000 on a logo is creating a lot of waste, uh, both internally, and it's not creating a lot of traction for your customers externally.
0: So does that mean that companies don't involve their customers or their markets enough as they develop their brands? Is that, is that what that means or?
1: Yeah, I think that's certainly part of, part of the equation or part of the answer here. Um, The way that we think about it in terms of being brand is really to say, how do you go out and discover? Uh, And maybe we need to back up, a little bit George and, and talk a little bit about what is the definition of brand because that's really the starting place of, of a lot of this conversation and to me you know there's been a myriad of, of definitions kind of floated out into the business lexicon of, about what a brand is and to me when you really look at them and, and I've done extensive study in terms of what is a brand to me a brand is really the relationship between an organization and an audience and it's a relationship because it's how we as people, as human beings, relate to the world around us. We form relationships. We have feelings about these brands in the form of relationship. Um, and I think it's a relationship because it's how brands really facilitate value. So, I, I mean, you know, we could play a little game, uh, between you and I, but, you know, when you name, a company like, say, let's say, BMW, you may have a certain feeling about them. You may have a certain relationship with them. Maybe you own one of their vehicles. Maybe you think it's pretentious to own them, so on and so forth. But we're relating to them. And so when you talk about the relationship being core to what a brand is, and I think it's core to the success of any organization to have strong and passionate relationships, then you have to look at brand as the synchronicity between who you are as an organization and who your audience wants to become. Somewhere in between those things, the connection of those dots is brand. And so brand inherently is about the customer. So it's not just about involving the customer in what you should build it's about involving the customer as part of the brand seeing them as part of the brand recognizing them as part of that that they will make it relevant or irrelevant they have that power and so as you build it's the question of what value is being created and for whom is that value being created
0: so so when we ask the questions what do entrepreneurs or, or, you know, companies miss when it comes to building a brand? Is that that lack of connection um, or – I'm not sure I understand it correctly.
1: Sure. So the, the question is what do entrepreneurs miss when building a brand? Yes. Yeah, I think what we miss is, is, is really the, an iterative approach. I think what we what we miss is the ability to involve our customer in the discovery of our brand formation. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So does that mean that if you have a startup, you're not even sure about what to name your business before, you know, you develop a relationship with your, your customers or, or you know, even even – I mean – I don't know, like even something very basic, coming up with a logo and naming your, your brand, uh you have to involve your customers in that?
1: Absolutely. I I think I think uh what we don't realize too is the first time that you mention your idea to someone that isn't your mom or, or your roommate for your business, you've already started brand development. And so we think about brand as this asset that we go out and get, and then we have it and then we can use it in different ways. The truth is relationship building is, is just like what we're talking about here. The first time that you mention it, the first tweet that you send out, the first demo day that you do, these are all part of brand formation. And so I think it's really hard to build brand, without understanding who it's for. And so when you think about products and you think about product testing, you can say, okay, we're gonna develop this product and we're gonna take it out and we're gonna test it here. And the variables could be we're testing with the wrong person, we're measuring the wrong way, or we've built the wrong thing. And the same thing's true for brand. As we start to develop these things and, and these relationships, the truth is that the more that we involve the people that it's going to be for and who are going to become passionate about it, the stronger the bond of that relationship can be.
0: Okay. Um, if if there is such a thing as a minimum viable product, is there a minimum viable brand?
1: Absolutely. I think that both exist. Um, The trap in in this thinking is that both the word minimum and the word viable are very important. So an MVP, which is a minimum viable product, is really that version of your product that can get you through a full round of testing to see whether or not that product is solving a problem, whether or not that problem is even worth solving, and so on and so forth. I think with products, products are really good at creating satisfaction. You have a problem or a customer has a problem and a product is invented or created to solve that problem. And a minimum viable product is about testing whether or not our product is solving that problem. So when you flip that over to the brand side, create a sustainable business, we have to have passionate customers. And brand, through the relationships they facilitate, is really that conduit for passion. And so at a minimum viable level, can we, what do we need to build in order to test whether or not people will be passionate about who we are, what we stand for, and what we believe? And so the way that I define a, a minimum viable brand is really to say that it's that minimum version of your brand development that you can go out and test and measure the passion that people will have about you. And it's made up of three components. Um, One is story. Who are you? Uh, Why do you matter? Why do you exist? Second piece is artifact. What do we need at a minimum level to tell that story? Uh, Do we need to do a logo? Do we need to do a website? What does our customer touch? What do they experience? What do they feel? What one thing can we build that really tells that story? And then the last piece is really invitation. How do we invite them to the party? It's not about market messaging or marketing, really. It's about how do we invite them? What do we want someone to do when they hear what we have to say? And how will we respond to that? to what the action they action may take. And so I contend that you can find a minimum version of your brand, run viability experiments against it, you will create validated learning, and then you're able to iterate and tweak. You preserve the pieces that work and iterate on the pieces that don't until you finally find a fit with an audience that really creates passion with your brand development.
0: So, so let's talk about how do we measure brand, and how does it help a company? Um, what methods do we have for that? Why do we want to even measure a brand?
1: Yeah, I think that um, you know, brand is really that last piece of, you could say, the marketing umbrella or or piece of business that's kind of the um, bastion of old school unmeasurable thought, right? Um, we we very closely measure our social media campaigns. Uh, we tightly measure our advertising campaigns. We tightly measure other aspects of our sales funnel, and so on and so forth. And all of these things are, you could say are within the marketing umbrella. The brand's kind of like this thing that exists on its own, and, and no one really figured out how to measure it. We talk about these fancy words like brand resonance, and brand saturation, brand loyalty, And these types of ways of trying to measure the eventual effectiveness of of what we've built. But I think it really comes down to something much simpler than that, and that's really human emotion and the humanity of of how brands function. And so when we look at that, it's it's difficult to, you know, if I were to ask you uh, put a dollar valuation or a metric on your relationship with your mother versus your relationship with your father – It's a difficult thing to ask you to do. It's a difficult thing for me to do. But I think that there are certainly direct measurements and proxy measurements that you can make to understand whether or not brand's working. So the way that I think about it is products create functional value in the tasks that they're able to accomplish, and brands create emotional value in the relationships that they facilitate. So how do we measure emotional value? And I think there's really three basic levels of this. I think the first one is interaction. Do people interact with what we're doing? So let's take uh let's say that we've built a website and we're posting blogs, a posts. So number one, do they even come to our website when they see a link? Do they interact with what we're saying? The second level of that would say, do they engage? Are they willing to comment? Are they reading it, right? Are they willing to engage with what we have to say? And then the deepest level is really, do they participate? Do they become passionate about it? And that's, do they share it? Do they actually uh, invite their friends and family? Um, Do they become a participant in what you have, what you're doing? Um, And I think that you can kind of create a lot of, measurement around those three areas to understand how what you're doing whether or not it's creating any value for your customer.
0: So what can what can a brand do to continually improve? What what um, what do they need to what does a company need to do to to, to be able to, to improve the brand over time?
1: I think you have to ask you know kind of three questions. I think the first question is, what what do we know or what do we need to know? Second is, how will we measure what we're learning? And third is, what do we need to build at a minimum level to generate those learnings? And so whether or not you're in the enterprise and you're a Fortune 50 company or you're just getting started and you've just finished your friends and family round of fundraising, uh, those three questions are relevant at all times. So if we're, for instance, on the startup level, what do we know versus what do we not know? There's a lot of unknown at that startup level. Um, and then what's the most important thing that we don't know? And how will we measure what metric will we use in order to know whether or not we're learning something? And then third, what can we build at a minimum level to test? And so I think putting these three questions into the DNA of any brand development is extremely helpful because it gives you a lens to be, if you're larger, to be able to diagnose what's working versus what's not. And if you're smaller, just getting started out, it gives you a lens to really view our iterative development. What's the biggest question we need to ask and how do we win one customer to become passionate about us? And then that's iterative development. With everything that we learn, we come back to the table, we go back through the loop and say, what did we learn, what can we keep, what do we need to iterate, Uh, how do we tweak this piece, and then we go back out and we test again. And This is continuous iteration, and it's continuous brand development.
0: Sounds good. I'd like to ask you about uh, your book and publishing your book. Um, How did you decide to market your book on Publishizer?
1: It's a great question. Um, You know, we decided pretty early on that we wanted to do um, kind of this hybrid version of publishing. Um, And with that, we wanted to uh, really highlight other startups um, along the process. And also, we wanted to build a community. I mean, we kind of wanted to eat our own dog food, right? And figure out whether or not what we were doing was creating passionate, relationships with, with early adopters and our customers. And so we really set out to to test um, what we were doing with our campaign and to also uh, really build a community around the book prior to its launch. And so Publishizer was a very natural uh, choice for us. Um, Publishizer's founder is uh, an amazing guy um, and his name actually is Guy Vincent and um, great guy really followed kind of lean startup principles in launching Publishizer and we felt it was a really amazing platform for us to uh, invite people to join us um, and to get some cool rewards uh, for doing that before the book is commerci- commercially released. And so it was kind of a natural flow for us to join with them and, um, and join what they were doing. And I think that ultimately the, the publishing industry is changing in a lot of ways. And I think platforms like Publishizer are really the future of where publish, publishing is going uh, because it's connecting you directly to your readers, to your audience. And whether or not they're willing to support and get behind your work is a huge question that authors should be trying to answer early on before they go through a pricey and, and laborious publishing process.
0: So, for those people that are not familiar with Publishizer, what is it that they do other than you know you list your book on there and then people can uh, you know make payments? You're currently at uh, four thousand one hundred and seventy-five dollars funded, uh, and you need to get to twelve thousand five hundred by June twelfth. Do they also help you market uh, your book or, you know, what, it, what is it that they actually do for you?
1: Yeah, so Publishizer is basically a Kickstarter for books. And so, um, but they're also kind of a, a clearinghouse. So you have to submit um, a proposal, which is reviewed by their editorial team. And um, they'll give you pointers, give you, help you kind of like think through the concept of the book and so on and so forth. And then, really, once the campaign's live, um, they become co promoters. And so their guys opened up his network um, to us to kind of connect us to people and get the word out. We've opened our network up to, to our team and to try and help get the word out. And so it's kind of a, a, a partnership, really. Um, and I would say, you know, my experience so far with Publishizer is really to say that they're interested in creating amazing books. And so if you have something to say, um, they really get behind what you're saying and try and help you present that in, uh, in a way that is compelling with all of their knowledge of the publishing industry.
0: Okay, and you set the uh, um, the amount that you you need to get this book published at twelve thousand five hundred. How do you set that? How is that amount determined? Is that some kind of a standard that publisher helps you come up with, or you, it's a it's a random number?
1: Um, well, it's certainly not random. Uh, we really, you have to take into account a lot of different things. Uh, for instance, bringing on an editor, uh, the sheer cost of just printing books to be delivered, because uh, we're doing a limited edition hard copy. Um, and so that costs money to print um, as well as, you know, just bringing in uh, the ability for the commercial release. And so what we wanted to do with, with our publisher campaign was give people an, a unique opportunity to get kind of behind the scenes of the publishing industry and, and our work um, and to really understand what it takes to produce a book um, like this uh, without a a traditional large publisher being involved or owning the rights uh, to the book. And so all of that money goes towards um, really printing the book, finishing the book, the artwork. Um, I don't know if you've read anywhere, but we've brought on an artist um, called fake Grimlock um, who is a, Uh, You should look him up on Twitter. He's amazing. But uh, he's a robotic dinosaur powered by beer and bacon. And
0: he creates
1: amazing artwork and has really stretched the metaphors in the book um, to an amazing uh, kind of extent. Well, Well, that costs money. We need to pay him. Uh, something to do his, his artwork, and he's worth that money, um, editing, and so on and so forth. So all of these things cost money, and that amount of money will help us, uh, will cover actually printing the book and finalizing everything that we needed to do for uh, getting that book in people's hands.
0: So what happens if you don't reach the 12500 by June 12th? We get zero dollars. Okay. So
1: the limited edition won't happen, um, and we don't know what's going to happen from there. We, uh, we may have to go a traditional publishing route. I, I have no idea, to be honest with you, George, what happens if we don't reach it. Um, the, uh, we've done a lot of testing, a lot of analysis on whether or not we can be successful there, and I have full confidence that, that we can do it.
0: Great. Um, how do you currently market your book, uh, you know, to reach that number? What what are some of the things that you do?
1: Yeah, so, <coughs> excuse me, I got a bit of a cold. Um, so th- there's a number of things that you can do. Um, some of the more interesting things that we've done, number one is we really, you know, put up a splash page, a landing page, um, just to collect emails. And what we've learned, you know, we did that months ago. And, you know, we've we have kind of a, a core group of about 600 people behind this right now. And um, what we've learned is the more that we deliver uh, content kind of sneak peeks behind our content, um, places we've been featured, for instance, you know, uh, South by Southwest this year wanted to talk lean brand. And so they invited us to do a full, uh, you know, panel on lean brand development and on the book um, and things like that. And so the more connected we are to our core community, um, the stronger that really we've seen um, what we do have an effect. And so email marketing is one piece that you can really use. Uh, another thing that we've done is um, a while back ago, uh, I had condensed the book down to about a thousand words um, for a talk I was giving. And once that talk, was over and it went really well I asked the question what could we do with this and there were a lot of people asking us well we really want you know, to know the principles behind this we love it but we want to know a little bit more can you give us something more can you leak us a chapter can you do these types of things I said, well let's just take this thousand words and really make it as good as we possibly can and put it in ebook format and so we released the lean brand in 999 words and uh, it literally was 999 words on the dot. uh, If you don't count bios and so on and so forth. Um, But we launched this thing, and and our idea was, hey, if we could get 50 people to download it, um, that will really sate the people that have been asking for a little bit more meat to what we've been saying. And so we put the link up live for 48 hours, and it was incredible to watch uh in the first 20 minutes we got our 50 downloads and over the course of uh that 48 hours through our customers really sharing uh this download and being passionate about it we got to 500 people downloading i think it was the total number was like 527 or something like that um, people that downloaded it and so it was just a s- sneak peek behind the book that people were passionate about. Um, I've just written articles, another piece that I've done, um, i done some interviews. What else have we done to market the book? Um, really a reach out to personal friends and ask them for their support and for their feedback. And so I think that the success of the lean brand, I mean, I don't want to call it a success yet, but up to this point, the success that we've had, has really been relationally based. It's been about building a community and being meeting the needs of that community and understanding what helps them become passionate about what we're doing and asking their opinion. And these things are crucial to, to now actually selling the book and people getting behind it.
0: Well, Jeremiah, thank you very much for uh, sharing some of your uh, w- what your upcoming book, The Lean Brand, is about. How can people connect with you or either order your book or learn more about your book?
1: Yeah, so you can go to leanbrandbook.com, and you can kind of read through the blog articles there. There's a link right on the homepage to the Publishizer campaign if you'd like to uh, see some of their rewards. What I'm really excited about on the reward side is that uh, we have about I think 70 slots or so still open. Um, at the $100 level, uh, if you pledge $100, you get your name printed in the book in every edition of the book from here to the end of time. And so I'm really excited about those, and I think those are going to go pretty quick here in the next week. Um, but, yeah, leanbrandbook.com. You can also reach me on Twitter, uh, at Jeremiah Gardner, and uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you.
0: Well, Jeremiah, thank you very much. Everybody, check out leanbrandbook.com. That's leanbrandbook.com. And uh, wish you much success with, you, with your book. Hopefully, you can come back next year talk about how it all went.
1: Sounds good, George. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you.